But let's uh, go ahead and turn into the book of Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we left off around verse 14, um, talking about uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, we, you know, just to kind of back up here into verse uh, 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And we, we, we talked about that um, uh, quite extensively, because again, what we find here is we find Paul establishing doctrinal principles of truth. And the reason is, is because again, there is always a, a, this attack on who Jesus Christ is. You'll find many people that will say, well, I've always believed in God, or I believe in God, and then they come to Jesus Christ and they're like, well, he was just a man. And they don't believe he was a savior. And they believe he sinned. And they believe all these other things. But what Paul's clearly identifying here is who Jesus Christ is. And that is a, a very important thing about what we as believers need to understand. Who is Jesus Christ? And um, what his uh, uh, what he has done and again, it's part of what we were talking about uh, on Wednesday. We we're talking about the fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord starts with sanctifying the Lord in your heart, meaning that he has to be in the proper place. Otherwise, none of this is going to work. Um, and uh, we, we see that here very clearly. But let's before we get too much further into this, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to be here. I thank you again for your word that uh, continues to give us the truth and the encouragement and the comfort that we need in this day-to-day life. Lord, I pray that as we look to these things this morning, that, Lord, we'd have an understanding more of who you are, that, Lord, it would, uh, again, put in in our hearts uh, exactly where you need to be, and that is the preeminent one that is, if you will, um, on the throne and uh, first in everything. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with me this uh, morning and speak through me that this time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are talking about um, uh, who Jesus Christ is. And again, you know, this is what this whole dissertation, if you will, is about. Uh, it, it's due to the false teachers that are out there. And, and we find this in the world today, as I mentioned. If you were to talk to a Jew right now, somebody that is of the, uh, 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 you know, Jewish religion, uh, Judaism, uh, they are going to have a very different, uh, um, if you will, words about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, they obviously do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, and what Paul is doing is he's doing the exact same thing that the Apostle John was doing, in that he's establishing Christ's deity. Uh, the very nature of God is being eroded if Jesus Christ deity is being taken away. Uh, this is a, this is a big thing. This is constantly going on. Uh, people will always try to remove that Jesus, remove that truth that Jesus Christ is God. And if a person does that, that creates a whole huge problem. Number one, with salvation. First and foremost, with salvation. It creates another huge problem in regards to, 
the, the other doctrinal principles about creation and God himself takes in, in, if you will, uh, creates a problem over there in first John chapter five. And, uh, when it, when it uh, said these three are one. And when we begin to realize that all of these little attacks are attempting to erode, we find that as that is happening today, we find that that has been happening from the very beginning, if you will, of Christianity. Who is Jesus Christ? When Jesus Christ was even here in his ministry, he asked Peter, who or his apostles, whom do you say that I am? Whom do the people say that I am? And when the Pharisees gave their opinion on it, they said some horrible things about him. They called him, if you will, uh, possessed of the devil. They said that he was a Samaritan in order to degrade him, insinuated that he was from a, a, uh, a relationship that was involving uh, uh, fornication. I mean, there was all sorts of stuff that they were insinuating. And, and you know what? Even today, that stuff still exists. Even in the little speeches and the little patterns of this life, people try to erode who God is and what he's about. Uh, you know, going back and just, you know, thinking of, uh, uh, of all of the stuff that has been out there um, uh, with words and with phrases. And we've talked about it before when we went through and saw some of the phrases that came from the Bible uh, you realize that there's other ones that are out there that uh, came directly attacking the Bible? There's uh, things that are used as a curse word today that attack who Jesus Christ is. I, I don't even dare say those in this, uh, uh, in, in, you know, in, in church like that. But there are ones that refer to uh, Jesus Christ in an attempt to degrade who he is and where he came from. Uh, and, and these are commonly used today. They're commonly used today. Well, obviously we refer to him as the son of God. The world refers to him as something else. And when we begin to realize that this attack has been going on for a long time, it becomes essential for the believer to make sure that the proper place uh, that God dwells in is in the throne of the heart of every believer. That's essential. It's essential. Which is why when we get into verse four to, uh, verse 15 here, and we'll read down to verse 18, he says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the, ch- uh, the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And again, this is what he's, he's, he's doing, is he's starting to come in and combat the false doctrines. He's starting to combat those false teachers that have already come in and began to dissuade people in the church. I mean, uh, there, there is this uh, uh, mentality that exists with the the, the nation of Israel of, of who Jesus Christ is. And, and again, trying to erode away who he, uh, his, his deity, the, the, the Israelites are frequently doing this. The Israelites are frequently saying this. 
And I'll even go so far as we go through this and talk about this, so keep this in mind, that much of the Jewish religion that even started back then was that the world was created for the Israelite. We still find this in doctrines today. There are some that try to argue against it, but the mentality is is that they, they if you will, at the heart of Judaism... It says that the world was created for them. Now that creates a problem. Because then that's trying to put them as the preeminent one. Now God said that they would be in that position. But that's with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. They're trying to do that without Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. They were trying to bring in the kingdom when Jesus Christ was here on earth. On their own without God. They went about to establish their own righteousness, being ignorant of God's righteousness. So we begin to see this pattern and why Paul is addressing these things right out of the gate. Uh, why he's addressing it to the uh, this, this church at Colossae to say, hey, we need to understand first and foremost, Jesus Christ has to be the preeminent one. He's the first of everything. He is the first of everything and everything is his anyways. It's not the Jews. This world was not created for the Jew. Because these verses right here just said they're for him. For his glory. And again, this is what we go back to every single time. Everything we do is for the glory, praise, and honor of God. If that is our mentality and that is our desire and we're doing it according to his word, we will be in the will of God. When we do it for our own reasons and our own self and our own desires, doing it for our own glory or doing it to lift ourselves up or to make ourselves more known, then the end result is is we are trying to be the preeminent one. And that can't be. That can't be. So here we are in verse 15, and let's go ahead and start with that. Verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? So let's talk about this very clearly, that, that image part. In verse, uh, uh, in verse uh, 15 here, he's referencing back to some of those things that even John, the apostle John, talked about. Because if you go over there in John chapter 1 and you go to verse 14 and turn there, if you will, with me. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now again, he describes, John describes this image, describes who Jesus Christ is. And what does he say? He said, His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we realize very clearly who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ is about. In verse 1, he establishes who the Word is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, establishing the deity of Jesus Christ. The whole concept behind the Gospel of John is that. Which is why you do not see a lineage of Jesus Christ like you find in Matthew or you find in Luke. In, 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 in Matthew, what do you find? In Matthew, you find the genealogy of a king because Matthew is about a kingdom. 
the physical, literal reign of Jesus Christ. In the book of Luke, you find him presented as man, the son of man, and you find him from Nathan, not Solomon's line, but Nathan's line in the line of Mary, again, clearly showing that he was man. At the same time, he was God. So we have that established. You don't find any lineage in Mark because Mark portrays him as a servant because nobody really cares where the servant came from. So again, we see very clearly who Jesus Christ is in the book of John because he portrays him as God. He is God. That's the whole intent. And he starts off right at the very first first verse in verse 1, Jesus Christ is God. End of story. Paul Paul does the same thing. And Paul's doing the same thing here to establish this with his church at Colossae to make sure that this is a key doctrine so that when they realize that him being on earth, that he was the image of God. The same time he was man, he was God. Now again, that just blows our mind because of the way that God went about doing things, the way he portrays things. You know, we were talking about the fear of the Lord uh, on Wednesday night saying that Jesus Christ would be uh, given the fear of the Lord. Well, he is the Lord. So how does that work? It's the same way that the son did the will of the father. He didn't come to do his own will, but he did the will of the father. What what does that mean? It means he put his flesh in submission, which is exactly what we need to do. If we want to do the will of the father, we want to do the will of God. That means that we put ourselves on our will secondary. And that's what Jesus Christ did with the flesh, showing that it's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit, which we find over there in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, establishing that. But as we go through this, we find that again, he's talking about this image. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And who Jesus Christ is. And again, it always points back to God. All of this points back to God. Uh, so in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now again, here we have this uh, issue of firstborn, which was also, again, mentioned in this same verse, and we'll get to that in just a minute here. So kind of keep that in mind, being the firstborn of many brethren, meaning that he is, again, the first of the church. He's the head. He was the first in the resurrection. He was the first uh, uh, that that occurred to. Yes, many other people had been resurrected, but not resurrected the way Jesus Christ was resurrected, under his own power. Uh, many have, uh, uh, you know, had died, but they went to Abraham's bosom. They did not go to heaven. Those that were uh, taken up, the, the, very, the two, Elijah and Enoch, very different circumstances and situations that were going on there. But again, they didn't die. So there, there was, that, that was a different, if you will, um, uh, situation. But what we find here is he's talking about this predestination. Now again, the Reformed groups, uh, the Reformed Baptists, the Reformed Presbyterians, and all the other Calvinists jump on this verse in, you know, in a heartbeat. See, see, predestinate, predestinate, predestinate. Well, what's being predestinated? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. Not that he predestinated people, but that he predestinated what would happen upon salvation. That we would be conformed to the image of his son. And the image of his son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the father. 
which makes more sense when we start realizing when he says, be ye holy as I am holy. Ah, he wants us to be godly. He wants us to behave godly. He wants our words to be godly. He wants our actions to be godly. All of it has to be centered on God himself. So again, we find this image is, again, always pointing back. We live in a world of images, don't we? We live in a world of images. You go back over there to, to, to the book of Acts, and I believe it's, uh, I think it's chapter 15. I could be wrong. Um, but uh, over there where um, Paul's talking about uh, the, the situation in Ephesus, and, and over there in Ephesus, they, they worship the goddess Diana, and it says, in the image which fell down from Jupiter. Well, what is that image that fell down from Jupiter? That's a meteorite. They were worshiping that. They thought it was a god. Well, that's happened in multiple places. There's one that's uh, currently uh, over there uh, in this big black um, stone building uh, in the corner of it over in a place called Mecca. When Allah fell down from heaven with his two daughters. You're like, what? Yeah. Uh, Allah isn't God. God didn't have daughters. Um, what was it? It was a meteorite. It was a meteorite. Purportedly, according to, you know, uh, which Iman you follow, it was either uh, a meteorite that was given to Abraham uh, by Gabriel to prove Gabriel's deity. What? Gabriel isn't God. So there's a problem with that right there. Uh, there's a problem with their whole, if you will, monotheistic, uh, um, you know, claims. They're, they're worshiping multiple gods. They worship Allah, his daughters, and Gabriel. That's not right. Uh, you move on a little bit further and, and, and you find that Muhammad uh, spared that one uh, God, Allah, and then wiped out the other 360-something-odd gods that were in that building in Mecca, um, destroying all of them, but kept that one God, Allah, in place. Why? So he could set up some sort of religion that with, with which he could control the area, the territory. Let's not make it, you know, let's not cut... You know, let's not sugarcoat it. Muhammad was a, was a warlord. He was all about conquering and ruling and reigning. He wasn't much of a prophet. But as you, as you go through and you see more of this, you, we, we talk about those images. We live in a world of, filled with images today. We have images all over the place. We take photographs. There's things on our tablets. There's things on our computers. There's things on our phones. There's uh, movies. There's TV. They're all images, right? And we know that those aren't, uh, if you will, that actual thing, but the representation of it. And again, we find here, we find Jesus Christ here uh, very clearly in this, uh, you know, again, pointing back to whom God is, because he himself being God is pointing back to that image uh, or that image is pointing back to, to, to the Lord himself, revealing everything about him. Well, let me let me continue on, go over to 2 uh, uh, Corinthians, and I'll, I'll show you this here in just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this becomes important when we start thinking about who God is. 
2 Corinthians 4, and in verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what is, what is, what is the devil always trying to do? Get you look at a different image. Don't look at Christ. Look at something else. Look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. It's all about you, right? Look at everything else other than God. Eventually, he becomes the image of the beast. So there's the image that he produces there over in the book of Revelation. He wants a different, he wants you looking at something else other than God. Jesus Christ is always pointing back to who God is himself. Just like the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, his, his, uh, uh, if you will, his duties included to reveal Jesus Christ and whom he is. And we, he does that through the word. He points that out. He points to Christ and Christ points to God the Father and they all point to each other and pointing that they are God. And we get to this, uh, th- this verse here where it makes it very clear that this is what the devil does not want us to believe. He wants us to be blind according to those things. And again, he doesn't want us looking at the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. That God would come and save us. He doesn't want people looking at that. He doesn't want that light of the world being existing. Again, going back to what we find in John chapter 1, where it says he is that light. The light that's the life of men. Take a look here again over at, uh, back over in Colossians and in Colossians chapter three, um, we'll, we'll get to this verse in just a bit, but, uh, in Colossians chapter three and in verse 10, and it says, and I put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. God has designed it so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. God has designed it so that we would be renewed in the knowledge and knowing who Jesus Christ is and what he did and the works that he did here and the things that he said that we would can be, you know, be, uh, if you will, renewed in that, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He put that new creature in us. That new creature has a pattern and that pattern is Christ. We are to live Christ-like. We are to follow that example. We are to see exactly who Jesus Christ is, and as that points to the will of God, we follow that will of God. Again, when we start thinking about this in the names of Jesus Christ, he is called what in John chapter 1, verse 1? The Word. What does the Word of God point to? God himself. It reveals him. It reveals his will. It reveals his desires. It reveals his nature. It reveals his character. It reveals his traits. It reveals his attributes. It reveals his mercy, his grace, his love, his care, his compassion, his anger, his wrath, his justice, all of it. It shows who he is. And we're renewed in that knowledge on a day-to-day basis as we are looking to the image of uh, uh, of God, Jesus Christ himself, and we are renewed in what we are supposed to be, what we are created unto. Because remember, we're created unto those good works. 
He ordained them according to Ephesians 2.10. So again, he's coming back to the, the this church at Colossae saying, hey, look, you need to understand that he's the image of the invisible God. Well, again, no man has seen God, and we'll take a look at this in a second, but I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, uh, jump up to verse 2 just for again for that context. It says, Hath in these the last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Again, this is important as we've re- read it over there in the uh, the previous verses in Colossians. By whom also he made the worlds. So he's heir to all things, meaning they're belonging to him, and he created everyone, all, all of them. He made them. And in verse 3 here, he says, Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And again, the whole whole concept behind Hebrews in this book is that Jesus Christ is far better than keeping the law. He's far better than the blood of bulls and goats. Because it was paid once and for all. He is that firstborn. He is the first of the resurrection. He is God. And he demonstrates this throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. Again, thinking back to that that verse again over there in Colossians uh, 1 verse 15, going back there, he says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, nobody has seen God. Nobody has seen God. John 1.18 makes that clear. John, uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 12 makes that clear. Nobody has seen God. But we can see Jesus Christ. We have not seen God and who he is, if you will, like I can look out at all of you and you look at me. But I have seen God because of this. Why? Because it's the word of God. Oh, now that begins to make more sense. Because if you attack the deity of Jesus Christ and you say he is not the word, then you can attack this book. You attack this book, then you attack who God is. And if you do that, then it makes you yourself your own God. Let's go right back to the garden. And you know what that is? In today's day and age, what nice little term we use for that? Humanism. Humanism. Humanism, by the way, leads to the most depraved of all, uh, if you will, uh, uh, actions. People try to promote humanism as good. Well, humanism means I care about other people. No, humanism means that you believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself, right? Isn't that what they tell you? Yeah, oh yeah, the follow your heart thing. Oh yeah, do not do that. It's desperately wicked. <laughs> now look, you, you know what you do? This is why thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The more word of God you have in your heart, the less you are going to want to follow your fleshly desires, the more you're going to want to follow the will of God. But humanism is all about believing yourself. But again, nobody's seen God. 
Going back to this, nobody's seen God. And again, we don't want to degrade what, what, what God's word is. This is why it becomes important about the word of God to clearly demonstrate to us who he is. I want you to take a look at, uh, um, let's go back over to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see this. Now, now obviously in, 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 uh, well, you turn to, to Hebrews chapter 11 and I turn there too. Um, over in, uh, again, John chapter one and in verse 18, John, the apostle John makes this clear. He says, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, hath, he hath declared him saying that the purpose behind Jesus Christ in what he was doing was declaring God. That's what the word does. That's the purpose behind the word. Which is, again, why people want to attack the deity of Christ and attack the Bible. So he says, again, no man has seen God at any time. He repeats that same or similar phrase over in 1 John 4, verse 12. But here, I want us to take a look here in Colossians, or not Colossians, but in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to jump down there, uh, talking about, uh, oh, we'll see here, Hebrews chapter 11 in verse... Uh, Verse 24, it says, by faith Moses, when he had come, uh, was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, uh, uh, great, uh, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had recom- respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Wait, what? That just said that Moses saw God. As seeing him who is invisible. Did Moses see God? You're like, well, he was put in a rock and kind of got to see the, the you know, the, no, 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 no. Did Moses see God? Absolutely. How did he see God? Through the wondrous works of his power. And isn't it interesting that here's Moses and he writes five books of the Old Testament. The very first ones. Establishing that. Establishing that God made all things. Establishing the, the, the if you will, the genesis of all things. The firstborn of all things. Here's Moses doing that. Who did he see? If you will, he saw Christ, the word of God. And we begin to realize this, this is an important principle. Now, now, now there have been many, you know, pre-incarnate, uh, if you will, uh, um, uh, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. You go over there and Joshua is getting ready to fight and he sees this guy and Joshua takes out his sword and say, are you with us or are you against us? And then come to find out he's the captain of the Lord's host, this guy. And what does Joshua do? Joshua falls down and worships him. Now, if it was an angel, what would the angel say? Stand up. I'm like you. Don't do that. That's what an angel does. Because an angel that receives worship like that is going to be in big trouble. Really quickly. Which is why you can find some of these false religions begin to do stuff like that. 
worshiping Gabriel as an as a, as a deity? Uh, no. Gabriel wouldn't accept that. But that captain of the host did. Why? Because that's Jesus. There's multiple times that happened in the Old Testament. But what we find here is we find that as Moses had seen God in his word, we do the same. We do the same. We see Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, Jesus Christ was not seen by any of us. If you had a vision of him in your burrito, you need to lay off the Taco Bell, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Uh, he's not appearing in the image of a potato chip or anything like that, all right? You know, these people would get those things and they, if you will, they worship it. Well, they're worshiping the wrong image. They're not worshiping God. And, and, and it becomes very clear here that this is what they're supposed to do. The, 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 the believers in, in, at the church at Colossae are supposed to be following Jesus Christ as the preeminent one. The one that is the firstborn of everything. Because again, in that verse, it says, who's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now again, going back to Colossians chapter one, it, it just follows it up with the next few verses that we just read, verses 16 through 18, where it says, we're by him were all things created. It says that he is the firstborn from the dead. All of these things are to again go back and prove in the context, in the context of these verses, the, the, the context of thought is that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is supposed to be first in our life. That Jesus Christ is supposed to be, if you will, sanctified in our hearts as God whom we believe and whom we follow. This is the, this is the object of what, what, what Paul is teaching here. I mean, he, he, again, it goes back to, 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 to John chapter one. And it's interesting to see that Paul is supporting the same thing that John is supporting. Because if you go to John chapter one, you can turn there again in John chapter one. <clears throat> And in, obviously in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And he keeps going on down through this. But he calls them the Word, begins to refer to the Word as God in this specific passage. And it says very clearly, that he made all things. It says all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, that's still a problem today for the evolutionist. You ask him, well, where did everything come from? Big Bang. Well, what was the Big Bang? Well, Big Bang was when all the matter that was in this infinitesimal little dot smaller than the period on the page, uh-huh, um, just exploded. Uh-huh. And everything went and exploded everywhere, and over the course of billions and billions of years, uh, organized itself into what we have today, 
and organized itself into an amoeba that was on a rock that it got rained on and then became rehydrated and decided to become a living being. And that's where we come from. So there's the idea of dumb as a rock. Okay. Uh, That's just ridiculous. Do you you realize the statistical probability of that? Then, of course, they want to throw Occam's razor in there and all of those, uh, you know, arguments and stuff like that. Well, Occam's razor just simply, if you want to look at it from that direction, just simply says God created all things. Why? Because that's the simplest explanation. That's, if you will, the summary of that. Simplest explanation is often the truth. Well, the simplest explanation is is that God created everything. Well, that's simple. Because you go back to it and you say, okay, let's go back to that period that's uh, smaller than the the period on uh, this piece of paper here. Um, Let me ask you the question, where did that come from? Well, we don't know that. Ah. Well, I do. Without him was not anything made that was made. He made it. And he didn't make it a small little dot that exploded. He spoke it into existence. This is why that whole trying to integrate evolution into Christian doctrine, trying to incorporate it into biblical terms, is a fallacy. It's a folly. It's it's false. Not trying to alliterate there, okay? Just happened to all start with F. <laughs> but you you understand what I'm saying is is that 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 you can't integrate it. People will go over there and say, well, those 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 one day, you know, they really weren't twenty four hour periods of time. No, it said the evening and the morning were the first day. So we're either going to believe God at His word or we're not. Well, that was actually billions of... No, it wasn't. We can't get there. Otherwise, we discount and discredit who God is, and we erode it, and then we make ourselves God. This is one of those major, major problems that people have today, is they refuse to believe what God is telling them. They refuse to believe the word. And if the word is not preeminent in our life, then we are believing what other, what any, any other doctrine, anything else that's being taught out there. We fall for whatever. We fall for whatever. He's obviously the firstborn. And, and when we talk about that firstborn, you know, it makes a perfect sense because you go over in Genesis uh, chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it starts off with the, the, the creation part and, 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 and how does he begin to, to, to begin to put things into the form that we have today. He spoke it into existence. And God said... And God said, well, uh, that's simple to explain. It's the word of God that creates. Words have power. Words have power. This is what I'm always saying. Words have, words have an immense power. We really, truly have to begin to understand that. 
This is why God says every idle word is taken into account. And when we talk about idle words being taken into account, we're talking about the context in which they're said. We're talking about the content of what they have. And we're talking about the intent and, if you will, the tone behind all of it. God takes all of that into account. Why? Because words are important to God. Why? Because it's the firstborn. His first actions here on this earth, he spoke. He spoke. Did you ever notice that? Go over to the book of Genesis. Man, I am like really not going to get far past verse 15, am I? (laughs) Such high hopes. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So, God is uh, talking to uh, uh, Adam. He gives Adam a commandment. Uh, there's other things uh, throughout here that uh, where God said certain things. But you get to chapter 3, and then we go through this whole disobedience and fall. And uh, you get down to, to, to verse... Um, Oh, verse, let's take a look at verse six. It says, and when one saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How does a voice walk if it's the word of God, it makes perfect sense. See, this is why it becomes so important about this book. There are so many books in the world today, right? I mean, there's a book about everything. I mean, if you want to find a book about something, I'm sure you can find a book about it, right? So let's think about this for a second. Out of all the books, which one has influenced the world the most? Origin of Species? I looked it up one time and they put that one as number one. I'm like, yeah, right. <clears throat> and they were touting it as, you know, this is, this is great. Yeah. You know what the, the whole title of that book is? Why it's only just referred to as origin of species? Because the, the whole title of the book just shows exactly how racist it is. And it talks about how the, 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 that eventually due to evolution, the white race will supersede and dominate all other races. That is garbage. That is not godly. That is a heresy of the utmost heresies. When people sit there and say Adolf Hitler was a Christian, no, he wasn't. You can't be a Christian and believe that. 
because it's not found in the Word of God. Charles Darwin, the founder of evolution, if you will, was a racist. Do you know that there was another guy that helped him write that book? Nobody talks about him. You want to know why nobody talks about him? Because he disagreed with Charles Darwin and said, your, your whole idea and your concept of races is absolutely unfounded. There is no dominant race. He didn't believe in races. He said, we're all from one. And that guy was silenced. Oh, excuse me, let's put it in modern day vernacular. He was canceled. Yeah, you start looking that up and you're like, whoa, how come they don't teach that in history and in science? Oh, because it, never mind. Anyways, I got to get off that. <laughs> but you understand the concept is, is again, people attack words. People attack the word of God. People are attacking words today, making up their own words, degrading words, all of these things. If this is the most influential book that has ever been penned, this affects how many millions, if not billions, of lives. This has changed the course of history. This has altered men's fate, if you will. It's changed lives. Changed my life. Anybody that's trusted Jesus Christ, this has changed you. So we begin to realize the importance behind this. And if you will, the firstborn means that the very first thing that God did was that word being spoken. That becomes very, very important for all of this. Firstborn of every creature. The firstborn, the first of everything, which is why it goes back to this basic principle. Is God first in your life? The application that we begin to see here is if God says he's the firstborn, then we have to go back to that and say that God needs to be the first in our life. That Christ, the word of God needs to be first in our life. Before we start seeking counsel from men, have we gone to the Word of God to see what the Word of God says? We got a problem in our life? Do we go to Dr. Phil? Or do we go to the Word of God? Dr. Phil doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, by the way. Do we go to Oprah? No, she doesn't believe in Jesus Christ either. You, you, you realize the concept of what, what happens is people will go to everything else except back to this book. Every, people will go everywhere else except the foot of the cross. Trying to save themselves. Because the foot of the cross means you have to face your sins face head on. And realize that the cross is there because of me. I couldn't save myself. My God came and died for me to save me. 
that becomes the, if you will, the thought process. Now, I know we didn't get get real far here. I got a couple of minutes, but I just want to introduce this into verse 16, going back over to Colossians here. Again, to kind of start piecing things together of what uh, what we were talking about, where it talks about for him, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether it be throne or dominions or principalities or powers, all things created were created by him and for him. This all brings everything beginning to, if you will, back to Jesus Christ. Back to Jesus Christ. And again, the concept being is that that word reveals who Christ is. By Christ, God is revealed by his creative power in all things. I want us to keep that thought and process as we start thinking about this moving on. By Christ, God is revealed by his creative power. I want you to think about that. We would not have known God if he did not create. We cannot know God if there is not a new creature. And I'm talking about knowing him as in he is our savior. That he is our our Lord, our God. Because everybody else will believe and go, oh yeah, well I believe there's a God. Well, they don't know God. They don't have a knowledge of God. As a matter of fact, they don't want to know God. They don't want to keep him and retain him in their knowledge, as it says over in Romans chapter 1. So again, we begin to see the problem that's there. But here we are very clearly seeing that God is revealing himself to man through creation. Why were things created? Why were things created the way they were created? Because of God. Why does the platypus exist? Because of God. Oh, you like to put things in little boxes? Put that one in a box. They put it in its own box because it doesn't fit any other animal. And God goes, yeah, try to wrap your mind around that thing. It's got a, a, a bill like a duck. It's a marsupial. It's got fur. It behaves like a, a mammal. At the same time, it's aquatic. And at the same time, it actually has venom. Did you know a platypus has venom? Yeah, careful how you handle those little things. It's got venom in its little claws. And those claws, they'll grab you and they'll stick it and they'll inject you with a venom. You're like, yeah, everything in Australia wants to kill you, okay? <laughs> Just remember that. <laughs> That's the idea of the concept. How do you, uh, again, so what, it's like part reptile, part duck, part fowl, part, yeah, it is. Because that's the way God created it. Again, to confound those that think themselves wise. But we'll come back to that concept, Lord willing, next week. Find out a little bit more about uh, this uh, subject matter of uh, God's creative power revealing himself. This is the idea behind it. This is the, why the image of Christ is important. This is why the word of God becomes of the utmost importance in our life. It reveals who God is. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to continue to study your word. Pray, Lord, you just continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And, Lord, we'd be blessed uh, 
uh, through the teaching of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And these things I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.